Did you know this podcast is powered by Acast? Acast is the home of podcasting. For creators looking for freedom to grow their listeners and make money too. And creative brands looking for smart ways to advertise. Podcasters and advertisers in the know know Acast. It's time you did too. Visit Acast.com to find out more. Acast. For the stories. Welcome to the Tight Lads Podcast with your hosts Jordan Donnelly, Abby O'Neill, and Chesney Forks Porter. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. How are you? How are you doing? I am, of course, joined today by my two wonderful co hosts, the Roxy to my Velma, Abby O'Neill. Say hello, Abby. Hi. And the Loin to my Cloth. Chesney Fox Porter, say hello Chesney. Hello Chesney. And welcome to Thailand. And guys, we are joined today by a very, very special guest. He has worked as a musical director on many West End and UK and international tours, including Fame, Aveda, Cabaret, Ghost, Jesus Christ Superstar, The Sound of Music, Starlight Express. <gasps> 9 to 5, Godspell, Sweeney Todd, and that is only half of the list. On top of all that, along with working as a vocal coach, he is also now Head of Music at Emil Dale Academy. Please welcome today's guest, Tim Whiting. Hello, lovely to be here. Tim, how are we doing? I'm I'm really good, thank you. Actually, really, really good. I'm, I'm intrigued where you got all that information from. That's not even something I've written myself. I was impressed. Probably you weren't even aware you were in those shows. <laughs> Tim, there was like, that was literally half the list. I would have kept going, but, you know, we want to try to, you know, not be here too long. Um, but we, we're going to get into it. Okay, so myself, Abby and Chesney are all um, now graduated from drama school, 2020 grads, what's up? Um, and... A lot of the people that listen to us are either looking to go to drama school, in drama school, or now graduated drama school. And we all have probably done and will continue to do a lot of auditions. And when it comes to auditions, there is so much uh, anxiety, stress and questions that come with that. What song do I sing? Teachers are telling me that I need 12 songs in my rep folder. Then I hear actors say that they've never taken more than two songs into an audition. Some people are telling me that um, when you're going up to the piano player um, to tap lightly on your legs. Then I had another piano player tell me, don't you ever tap your legs at me. It's I'm I'm exhausted. I can't speak for anybody else, (laughs) but I am emotionally and physically (laughs) drained. So you are someone that has been in the audition room, but you have kind of been able to be in that room and look through like 
a couple of different lenses. You've been in the room as an audition pianist. You've been in there as the MD. So you've been, you know, in front of the table, behind the table, on top of the table, you know, whatever you want. But it's, I need you to dish the dirt, basically. I need you to put the world to rights, set the record straight, because we're all exhausted. Well, no, I am. <laughs> I am. I am. We haven't even been in the room yet. No, no. (laughs) This is all just hypothetical. (laughs) So I just, we need you to kind of help us dish the dirt, okay? So we're just going to take one question at a time and then just kind of give us your two P's worth on everything, all right? So the first thing I want to ask is what do you want and what do you require from performers in the audition room from their perspective of an audition pianist. Lovely. Well, the first thing I want to I want to say is that audition pianists, honestly, hand on heart, do not want your audition to go badly. Because to be blunt, they're also on show. They're also there to do a job. They have a pride and they could be playing with some. I'm very fortunate to have been uh, an audition pianist for some um, Broadway supervisors, some kind of some really quite amazing people. I don't fangirl very often and I fangirl over people that you probably have never heard of, but these are people, orchestrators and, and that kind of stuff. So the pressure is on for the audition pianist as well. So I think the very first thing to say is it's never a them and us situation. So anything that I say today is really to help us as a, as a race, as a breed of audition pianist to, to help you. Um, so in, in very general terms, I, I always use the, the idea of talking to a pianist in the same way that you talk to a waiter at a restaurant. If you give them the information that you need and outline any allergies and any likes and dislikes, and you do it in a way that is polite and respectful, you'll get a really nice meal. And that's the best way that I can, I can kind of draw a parallel there with talking to an audition pianist. There really is no smoke and mirrors. If you go in and you know your, your piece of music and you know how you want it played, you know that there's a really dodgy cut that you've done that every other pianist trips over. So you can politely, but not patronizing, uh, without patronizing them, say, actually, this is a bit of a horrible corner. If you can talk to us as a human being, we'll play as a human being and, and we'll do our best for you. So that to get to that stage, Um, work with as many pianists as you possibly can so that you know your music inside out that's that's probably the biggest thing Um, and and be aware that when we ask how fast you want it it's not a test and that is not oh gosh well that's not the Broadway tempo that's me going how fast do you want to sing this piece of music because I've played this for 50 people at 50 different speeds Um, it's a genuine a genuine request and People go through uh, theatre schools, drama schools, and it's their singing teacher who always directs them. They, they'll kind of go, okay, um, here's this piece of music, and they'll start to play it. And it's, it's very rare that the performer student is in the position where they actually direct the music. Uh, and all of a sudden, you'll leave your, your theatre schools, and you'll get out there, and you've got somebody who will do exactly what you want, but you may never have, have, have been in that position before. So I would, I would definitely say um, I would expect you to, to, to treat me like a human being because I want to be nice and respectful back. 
um, but you do need to know your stuff and you need to be really well prepared. Just, uh, just indulge me here. When you're, uh, when you're on the, um, on the pianist side of things and you get, you get someone coming up to you and they're bringing you either, you know, this really obscure, you've never seen it before piece or this pointlessly difficult Sondheim piece. When you're there, do you see that as, is that like a positive? It's like, oh, that's a challenge. I'm going to try that. Or do you go, oh, you little bastard, you shouldn't have done that. What's, what's your sort of view on that one? I've got to say I'm probably the latter. <laughs> no, I love the light in the piazza, but my word, um, you bring me a piece from that and it's in five and it's in goodness knows what else. It's not going to go well. Um, and actually, that's, it's, it's something that I, I ask my singing teachers when they're teaching um, to, to make, make individuals aware that actually some pieces are just not playable in an audition setting either. Um, so I think... You don't get extra marks for being complete. I don't want to say you don't get extra marks for being original because you do, but that's not the kind of clever that you need to be in an audition. Um, I'm very much against the whole term overdone. And, and I think people on an audition panel and pianists want stuff that they know so they can actually listen to your voice rather than being educated about the song. Because if we're listening to this, and this is more of an MD side, um, but also the same for the audition pianist. If, if I am, if I'm concentrating on just reading the text, um, which is my music notation, then I'm not probably going to be the best accompanist because I'm going to be on my back foot. Um, but if something that I vaguely know and have played, played in the past, I'll actually be able to be present and in the room. So I think the audition will probably go better if you don't go for that completely brand new crazy Jason Robert Brown had a love child with Sondheim in F sharp minor with many many sharps um, so yeah just uh, in general simpler is probably better and Tim can I ask because this is something that stress the idea of it stresses me out some auditions 16 bar cup some auditions 32 bar cup some auditions a sensible cut two minute you know sometimes they don't necessarily specify when there is a particular scenario where they have asked for a 16 bar cut you as the audition pianist if someone is presenting to you maybe a really decent cut but it's maybe 20 20 bars are you saying can we make this shorter are you saying okay just just sing it you know it's fine what's your stance on that to be honest i think i i think you can take that as with a pinch of salt and i think 32 bars of something that is incredibly slow is obviously going to be a lot longer than 32 bars of something that's fast, for example. Um, I think, now I've not worked in or around Broadway um, or in America at all, but I believe that's more of an American thing where they are quite cutthroat and it is literally next, 32 bars or 16 in some cases, boom, 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 straight through. We do like a bit of a chat over here and we do like to sort of get to know people a bit more. So. I think I would take that with a with a pinch of salt and and get that as a right a roughly a ballpark. You know, for a pop song, for example, I always say that a verse and a chorus is probably enough, or a verse and a double chorus um, is is probably absolute absolute tops. If you're there and you find yourself on verse seven because you can't possibly cut the story arc, you're probably not probably not using the best song for an audition, to be honest. And that's that's also something to say that. Some songs are amazing, but not for audition. There are some songs that are stunning songs, 
but they require four and a half minutes of of the listener really investing in you and save that for your solo cabaret when they're back and up and running um, but there are definitely some that you just can't cut and if you find that you're working hard to cut a song um, then yeah, probably probably have a look at something else but to answer your question directly sorry i literally went round and then the figure of eight and ran that answer again it's a it's a it's a ballpark i would say i'm not aware of many people who would sit there and count bars and cut you off at 32. just don't take the mick with it just you know 34 36 fine eight minute epic probably not so good Tim, I have one more question in regards to this because this is all I think about. So, you know, I'm going to use you while you're here. No, go ahead. So a lot of the, you know, and maybe this is a bit more of like a wanky thing, but some people are like, if, you know, you come into me with your 16 bar cut, but it needs to have a very clear beginning, middle and end, and you really need to show a full arc, even though you only have 30 seconds, make it happen. And I'm like, oh my God, I can barely get a two minute song that works. Never mind. A 16 bar story arc you know how do you find that you often kind of want people to have a beginning middle end or do you mind if people just start you know at a chorus and then go from there i think this kind of goes hand in hand with song choice and song selection as well um as a as a performer i think you need to look at your songs and go what does this show and what is the purpose of me? Again, I'm talking, I'm kind of almost taking some of the artistry out of it to an extent. And I'm, I'm talking quite clinically about an audition. You have an objective there and that is to get you a recall or the job ultimately. So you need to have a look um, and, and think, what does this song do for me? And what are therefore the most appropriate bits? And also what are you auditioning for? If you're auditioning for something um, perhaps more, sort of come from a way or even like a war horse that's got like a folky kind of I guess actuary driven vibe then absolutely I, I would bring in something that did have a nice a nice through line and maybe does have that beginning middle and end if you're auditioning for some 60s jukebox show they're probably not going to be looking you're not going to be handling Shakespearean texts um, or something like we will rock you perhaps where it's quite clear that you need to be able to nail the, the pop aspect of, of the song so i think rather than thinking a beginning and middle end for every song think what am i looking to achieve with this song and how where is the best bit to do that within that song i, I think one one rule fits all with probably not gonna not gonna work and again it's being ruthless with with songs if you're having to cut it and you're saying to your pianist do these two bars and then loop this three times and then play that and then do that that's fraught with danger choose another song because there's so much rep out there cool okay so next question <laughs> what do you want and what do you require again same question but this time from the perspective of an md on the panel in on audition room this is slightly different because whereas the audition pianist is looking for that 30 seconds or a couple of minutes to go well as an md i'm always looking rightly or wrongly for actually if i want to work with this person and i have been cooped up in some um diplomatically put less than glamorous uh venues over over my time um in very close proximity or even international tours you know you're on flights and coaches with with a group of people so 
to be honest, first and foremost, I'm looking for somebody who's reasonable, um, who presents themselves well. Um, they, they're polite, um, they're respectful, and they've done their research. Um, I, song choice for me, and um, hopefully we can get onto this in a little bit, but song choice tells, says a lot about an individual. Um, and if you take an inappropriate song choice to an audition, you are, um, I think you're giving out the message that I've not really invested in this audition and I've not really prepared. And I, I don't think that's a great first impression in the same way that if you turned up to a, you know, a job in a bank and you weren't wearing a suit or a, a shirt rightly or wrongly, I'm not sure that gives the, the best first impression. So um, again, being evidence that you're prepared. Now that's not to say that um, we don't expect you to get nervous because uh, trust me i've seen i've seen hysterical laughter hysterical tears um people stop and start people forget lyrics all the time there's there's a whole range of nerves and performance anxiety that i honestly can see through and when you see enough people you honestly can spot these traits so nerves will not not go against you but if you're fundamentally underprepared um that that's that's never good um and being rude but that can sometimes go hand in hand because ultimately nerves comes from from fight or flight um so some people do come in and it's amazing how aggressive they are because their body has gone into fight or flight because because of the the anxiety of going into an audition um and then from a, a kind of like a voice a, a voice point of view i'm looking for somebody who knows their instrument um somebody that's healthy so obviously I'm, I'm hoping not to hear nodular or pre-nodular tendencies. I'm hoping not to hear um, too much breath. Breath on the voice, um, fundamentally, I don't think is, is wrong. When people can't get rid of it, it can show something, something a bit deeper rooted. And generally, MDs that don't have a, a particularly high level of vocal training will recoil at hearing breath on a voice. So if in doubt, probably don't make breathy choices in your audition because the MD will go, they've got nodules, they won't do eight shows a week if they don't fully understand that it's a choice and it's something to be controlled. Um, but overall, I'm looking for somebody who, who has, let's say, control of their instrument. And I think far too many graduates, I think they probably expect more support vocally than they will, will get, actually. Um, particularly on UK tours. Maybe if you're in a big, big budget West End production, there are vocal coaches and dialect coaches and a whole host of staff to help and support you. Um, I have to say on the sort of the, the smaller productions I've done, even up to number one UK tours international, very rarely have I worked with a vocal coach. So I would expect a performer to have a command of their own instrument in the same way that if I call an electrician, I don't expect them to knock on my door and then ask me how to rewire a plug. Um, we are, after all, I'm, I'm sorry to say, and this, this probably sounds a little bit um, harsh, but we are looking to employ professionals who know what they're doing. Um, so I am looking for technique, ultimately, and how you use that voice and how you use that to colour your text, your lyrics, to make that communication. Um, 
sometimes people like the sound and sometimes people don't and that's the hardest thing as an md sometimes if you don't like somebody's voice but there's nothing wrong with it but it's just not your cup of tea you can you can be presented with a beautiful michelin star meal and if you don't like caviar you're screwed um, and sometimes that happens sometimes in audition you have to get over your own preferences and kind of go i, I wouldn't buy the record but this is an insanely talented performer so that there's quite a lot of kind of analysis um, and judgment, actually, in the nicest possible way going on from the, from the minute you step in the room. I, I, I'm looking for somebody that I want to work with, um, preferably somebody that takes notes. If there's a little bit of direction that we want to give you in, in an audition, it would be amazing for you to be able to change the accent, for example. That's normally quite a big thing that people really throws people. They'll bring something in American and we'll go, actually, well, the director's going to do this in, we're going to set this in Newcastle. So could you do it in a Geordie or could you do it at least in your own native accent, whatever that may be? And very often that throws people. So the ability to take notes is great. Um, as I said, we, we really want somebody that we, we can work with and, a, and a, good, a good technician as well. So it's kind of a, a triangle of the three. Tim, in the, uh, in the least incriminating way possible, you were saying how um, you know, people come in with this fight or flight or they come in hysterically or what is, with as, as little detail as you can give. So with, with people coming in hysterically and, and you know, this fight or flight, in, in your opinion, what, what do you think is the worst audition that you, you've been a part of? Um, so kind of non-specifically, first of all, really strong but really inappropriate choices are incredibly uncomfortable. So um, this is kind of the least offensive, but I, I remember specifically, actually, there was there was a, uh, someone who came in and they were singing, oh gosh, I think it was something from Assassins or something that had an assassin undertone. Um, and they brought with them a, uh, a, a gun, uh, obviously just a toy gun. Uh, and they looked very sort of James Bondish. Um, and this whole, this whole sort of, thing. and it was, it was a very contemplated, probably in a very intelligent way of putting this song across. But at one point, the, the gun was taken from the jacket and was literally scanned along the audition panel. Um, again, in a theatre, you might go, okay, this is, this is part of the. Of course, in this day and age, it, it, <laughs> I won't tell you what happened, but I was not comfortable while I was sat there. And I did have a change of clothes afterwards. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's, I shouldn't laugh, should I? sorry. Um, but it, it just, and sometimes that can be, if people, people bring absurd comedy, I always think sort of the F, the F word is, I think you really have to justify doing something like that. And people sometimes bring things that's absurd um, and it can be wrong. It can be absurdly racist, or it can be like a Mel Brooks humor, which is so off the wall and they, they deliver it and it's right there. But it just it doesn't land because it's the wrong crowd. So sometimes there's a lot of examples I can give of that kind of thing um, where the fight or flight mechanism is kicked in sometimes is people arguing with me um, in auditions. And I remember vividly somebody and this happens all the time. Um, somebody had taped page one, page two, page four, page five, page six or something. So they missed out page three for whatever reason maybe they were hurried that whatever happened so we get i turn the page and obviously they're singing something at page three and i'm i'm sat there kind of going this doesn't add up and i try to blag it and there's a point at, at any audition where 
after a couple of bars, you go, we're just going to have to stop because me blagging, um, you know, me blagging too much of this is, is actually going to adversely affect your audition. So I was like, really, really sorry. Um, I can see exactly what's happened here. You've just missed page three. Uh, and, and the chat was like, no, no, I haven't. Can I see? And he demanded to see the music and he came right round to the piano and I, I had to physically show him on the page. He just wouldn't accept his own mistake. Um, needless to say, actually, I wasn't, I didn't have final say in the casting. I'd be surprised if he got the job. Um, I don't, I don't suspect he was a nasty person, but anxiety, nerves, fight or flight, he was, he was ready for that fight. Um, maybe he kicked himself when he walked out of the audition. I hope he did. And I hope he learned from his mistake um, before he, he does that and causes himself more damage. Um, but it's amazing what people uh, do and say when they're under that sort of pressure. Um, and I always advise, you know, I have to be so careful with data protection, all that kind of stuff. Um, now I'll say it anyway, I always advise you to record your own auditions. That's what I record. That's what I say to my students. I think it's a fantastic learning curve from probably the moment that you step into the building. Um, and I think it's important to to look back at how you come across. Did I say too much? Did I try and crack jokes because I was nervous that made me look like an absolute fool? Um, most people do. They try and overcompensate and try and be funny and they can't just say, oh, hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. It, it becomes uh, it, they try and say something to fill the time. Um, you know, just putting your phone in your pocket say I probably shouldn't say that but I say that to all my students and I think I think it's important nobody's got anything to hide in an audition scenario um, and if you can learn something and you can see how you come across I think that's really important particularly as a graduate when you you kind of not quite so sure um, how you're gonna gonna be in that scenario I don't think anything can prepare you for it and I completely understand why you're so anxious I, I that's why I do the job I do I could not audition day in day out like you do honestly hands up to you it's um it's it's not easy it's really not to be fair we haven't started yet COVID had other plans but when <laughs> when it maybe does happen one day we'll let you know <laughs> we will let you know yeah, get those voice memos out so Tim with I know you've kind of brought it up already but with song choice it sometimes feels like I'm in the crystal maze because it's one person will say as a specific example, oh my God, never sing pulled from the Adams Family. Every girl sings that. Another person will say, well, no, if you can do it well and you can do it right, then absolutely sing pulled. And it feels like it's there's very, you know, contradictory opinions about, you know, some songs that are maybe off limits. Then other people will say, sing whatever you want. It's completely fine. What is your opinion on the importance of song choice in the room? I know that you did say that it would need to be appropriate for the show and things like that. But how important is it for you? Because I know that a lot of people seem to treat it as like the make or break element of the entire the entire audition. Yeah, I I think maybe not quite to that extent, but I, I think it is definitely important. I'm not sure if it's make or break. Um there's certainly a, a, a certain judgment that's passed when you say I'm going to be singing on my own from Les Mis, for example. Um, the, when we hear the song title, there is, of course, a certain, oh, really? OK. Um, again, it's really hard. A lot of people will tell you, perhaps because they make a lot of money out of pretending to be gurus, but a lot of people will tell you that there's one rule 
and that's that's the best way to be um i think your song choice as i've said says a lot about your preparation um and uh, it shows that you have researched the show and you know the role that you're auditioning for um of course if you're going up for a brand new show that can be difficult so in those those circumstances a, a, a slight slight uh misjudgment is is completely acceptable i think if you're going up for west side story and you bring a, a 60s pop song for example you're probably in the wrong ballpark uh, i remember auditions for west side story and somebody brought shout um i think that's probably the most like i don't see how this possibly ties into what you're about to, to audition for um in, in the same way that if you go for an interview for any company and you don't know the name of the company or you misspell or mispronounce the, the managing director it just looks bad it might not lose you the interview but if you if you take a song choice that is really quite off the wall and not in keeping um it, it kind of makes you just look a little bit last minute and i think that is now less acceptable than it once was because auditions now every year i think it's getting harder i don't want to um i don't want to make your your upcoming auditions uh, even harder for you all but there are more and more of you every year of course there are um so when i train individuals to go into the industry uh, i train them to be flexible so that if you take a song choice in and somebody goes actually i just don't want to hear that i um I encourage individuals to have a good rep folder and never just take one song ever. If it says bring two songs, never just take two songs, never, ever, ever. Um, I reckon for every one song on that breakdown, take two. So always have an alternative. If it says two contrasting songs, take four. Um, you need to be in a position where, if they, have you got something that's a bit more, a bit beltier or a bit lighter? Or a bit more poppy um that you've just got alternatives there that you can kind of underline your your song choices with so yes it's important yes it's part of the first impression um i think the only taboo moment is songs from the show i i would never deem that as being appropriate um if you're going for rock you for example um i i would personally i think the breakdown tends to be a queen song but they wouldn't expect you to take from rock you for example um but queen have a massive catalog and same if you go for a lloyd webber show very often they say can you bring a contemporary legit or a lloyd webber um it, as i said it's your first impression it's not make or break and any song that you sing well and appropriately is a good is a good song choice and i would much rather sit through music of the night if i'm auditioning for a show that requires that style of music and style of singing um sung well by someone intelligent and uh and a good performer than than trying to kind of skirt around the issue if that if that makes sense kind of following on from what you were just saying about song choice do you ever find that taking a risk pays off? Um, or do you think it's better to go for like your safe four choices um, and just sticking with that because you know that you can do it well? Or does, does taking that risk for a specific audition ever work, do you think? Do you, do you mean risk in terms of like character choice risk? Uh, character choice risk? Or do you mean risk as in my range is top C? 
so I'm going to take a top C song in. In terms of like character choice, like it's within your range and everything, but it's just maybe a little bit out there for the specific audition. If you've got a justifiable reason for doing something and it's not offensive, I personally welcome that. Um, an example would be uh, I was playing for Billy Elliot auditions. I think I can share this now that it's no longer going. Um, and somebody brought It's Hard to Do My Heart from Parade. And I've given this example time and time again. Beautiful song, obviously very American. Uh, they did it in a Geordie accent. And it was the most heartbreaking, beautiful piece of, of, of auditioning that I think I've, I've ever seen. It was absolutely stunning. And I think that was a risk. I, I think somebody could have gone, oh, why are you doing that? It's not American. Um, that kind of risk, I think, will hopefully pay off. If you're effing and blinding and you're, you're dropping anything taboo in there, I, I really think know your audience. And that kind of risk is, is maybe not so good. And physicality as well is so important. Um, I think you can do too much and you can actually be really inappropriate and uh, perhaps not offensive, but certainly inappropriate. And uh, it's, yeah, you have to consider your physicality as well. And taking risks physically in a song, I've not seen it pay off that many times. So, yeah, there's no your limits, I think. Tim, following on from kind of the rep folder conversation, are there any kind of like quintessential absolute must-haves in the rep folder? Because as I said, there's conversations that take place to say that you should have, you know, a 60s pop rock, a 70s pop rock, a very wide variation of kind of every and all styles. And then, you know, I hear more often than not, as long as you have maybe the the kind of basic, legit, contemporary rock you're kind of good to go is there anything as someone that has taught voice as someone that has md'd as someone that has been in the room time and time again what would you in your mind think are kind of the must-haves to have in that book Definitely. um so uh i can tell you what what i teach and what i put in in my rep folder for my students um we start with with a legit song and i would normally suggest two legit songs um, I think now I'm I'm actually very contemporary and pop pop driven. However, um, I think legit is very much the mainstay of a musical theatre performer um, because what legit tells us is whether you can sing with a legato line. In, in my in my opinion, legit it's quite a derogatory term. It, it, I only discussed this previously. It, it it suggests that other styles of singing are not legitimate. Um, for me, legit is legato singing. It just shows that somebody can hold a melody and can sing all the way through. So that's kind of your nuts and nuts and bolts of it. Um, then I actually, um, you know, this is my first year of, uh, of being a head of music. So actually, <laughs> I guess you could say I'm kind of sowing all these seeds and I've got all these wonderful ideas. I haven't seen the students get the jobs from them. So I'm kind of, um, I might retract this in a couple of years time, but I actually, the first thing I do now is take students through uh, a pop section uh, because I think that musical theater has shifted towards pop. And dare I say, musical theater performers don't perform pop the best. Sorry. Um, it goes against a lot of what we're taught it's uh, much of it is there's too much vibrato often when theatre singers uh, sing pop uh, they overact the song songs that don't have a have a have an arc in them it, it comes across as too much so I 
talk to my students about uh, the history of pop in a nutshell, and I give them pop songs from 50s all the way through to as current as you possibly can be. Um, you could cover that in maybe five or six songs. Uh, so maybe, you know, something, think of you like your hairspray, which is your 50s and 60s, and then go into Saturday Night Fevers, your 70s, your 80s, um, and then your couple of like your waitresses, your dear Evan Hansen. Actually, I believe Waitress, um, the last tour, they actually didn't want theatre songs in the audition. They were looking for singer-songwriter songs. Um, so there has been this shift in the industry. So I, while legit is important, I think in getting a good instrument and proving it's like your rudimentals of, uh, I don't know what, I don't know ballet enough, but I'm sure there are certain maneuvers, moves, whatever, jetés, that's about all I know of ballet, um, that you have to kind of do. And I think that's kind of your fundamental. I think stylistically, musical theatre performers need to understand pop, so a good five or six pop songs that will cover, again, just look at, look at what is out there at the moment, uh, what is going to be reopening. There's not that much legit, actually, going to be reopening it's going to be your Evan Hansen you come from a ways your, your waitresses your pop musicals um, Hades Town um, your Hamiltons this is moving more towards uh, rap actually so um, I actually spend the time in, in pop and getting the style right um, and then again maybe six as, as a minimum six eight songs across the whole spectrum of musical theatre so you want to cover you've got your legit so you want to go into your maybe a 90s musical pop an Andrew Lloyd Webber or a Frank Wildhorn contemporary legit in there if you can, and then come come really a bit more current, a bit of a Jason Robert Brown or um, uh, Tootsie or something that, that kind of current. So it's probably about 16 or 18 songs will cover you, will get you in the right ballpark for every eventuality. And obviously you'll then find, oh, actually I do, I do soul music really well. So you might want to expand on that a little bit more. Um, but I, I think I think it's important to know the songs that you're in in your rep folder, keep them current. And I'm not just saying this because I make money from from doing this, but run them with a pianist. Um, make sure that you don't get in a position where actually a song that you did in performance class in first year is suddenly being pulled out of your rep folder. You know, you want to make sure that you you know the songs that are in your rep folder. In order to do that, you probably want to have like. 25 30 absolute maximum um that's a lot to keep current so you know maybe sort of six or eight pop six or eight musical theater just spanning the whole thing um and that's for your emergency situations that's when Cameron mcintosh say you've got an audition tomorrow if you've got three or four weeks to prepare then obviously you can learn the most appropriate song that you can get your head around but just to get that very basic rep folder go from legit to current musical theatre, but just don't forget pop as well, um, from sort of 50s, 50s to now. Tim, when it comes to in the room, both as, you know, as a pianist and as an MD, how do you feel about people kind of adding their own, I suppose you could say vocal decoration to the song? I suppose a really well-known example of this would be with the girls that end up playing Alphaba and, you know, there's score alphabas and then there's alphabas that, you know, scream their faces off. People love one, some people might love the other. What is your kind of preference and your opinion on people adding their own decoration? And is there ever a point where you're like, that is too much? Yeah, let me try and set you kind of like some, some boundaries. So um, I think that 
musical theatre stuff is written for a beginner amateur to be able to sing the stuff that is published it's it's written um not necessarily the key but in terms of notes and simplicity i i believe it's it's over uh, simplified so if you take um the song i'd give my life for you from uh miss saigon um i'm sure it's written you who i cradled in my arms you but 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 no performer is going to sing that no performer is going to do that you're going to use the text you're going to use the phrase of the text to, to go through that so i i don't ever say stick to what's written if the text and that's the most important thing in musical theater i believe above the voice believe it or not is the text because that informs the choices you make from a singer's point of view if the text says to you join this or maybe take a breath or this is how you would phrase it if you're delivering the line then i believe you can take the the music phrase and shape it to that there are certain composers actually who make that incredibly difficult um, and i believe as a performer if your heart is in the right place and you have worked on the song and you know that you wouldn't say you who i cradle in my arms of course that would move you I it would move on there would be a, there would be a lyricism to that so you can sing it like that so if it comes from that place i believe you don't need to stick to what's written jumping to the other side there is a point at which we can all have too much dessert and a vocal riff a vocal run uh, a decoration an ornament it can just get a bit difficult to listen to in the same way you wouldn't want to sit down and eat six desserts so um well, again there's no hard path <laughs> rule <laughs> I was just gonna say, uh, I was I was with you, and then you just lost me. I just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that <laughs> this is when you tell me like you're gonna do an ad break for Casper's desserts. So <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, no, I just too much. I think dare I say use use your kind of common sense and maybe a bit of detachment from the song. Um, and again, know what you're going into. If you are going into a a a, a jukebox show that is to to please the masses and it wants fantastic vocal acrobatics then i would say don't hold back because i think it's quite easy in an audition to go oh there was a little bit much in there um can you just back off of that a little bit if you're going in for that beautifully acted story song um nobody is going to get a story across if they're too busy riffing and doing the acrobatics so again know your audience know your show know your song um i'm sorry i can't give you kind of like or do two riffs in a, in a pop song i normally say the first time you sing something it should be um in classical music they call it the um the exposition this is a whole way of writing i believe um as in the first piece of information that goes out there uh, once upon a time for example needs to be nice and clear so that the audience or the listener gets once upon a time when you've sung once upon a time twice three or four times there's a natural progression that will happen so on a repeated lyric i would expect a once upon a time or far better than that do something different with it so if it's a new piece of information keep it simple uh if it's a repeat twiddle away unless it's unless you are a hundred percent sure that they've put on the breakdown we want vocal acrobatics in which case go in there all guns blazing 
And would the assumption be that the more legit the piece gets, the more you're kind of veering towards the absolutely not under no circumstances side of things? Yeah, I, I absolutely, yeah. Um, so yes, legit, def- particularly if it is uh, what I call legit, legit, that's no help to anybody. As in a Rogers, I would call legit, legit, like Rogers and Hammerstein, period, legit. Um, Absolutely, there's a way of singing these songs and there is a tradition. You can't scoop into notes. You can't really backphrase Rogers and Hammerstein. Um, these were written in a different way. Contemporary legit, Till I Hear You Sing, for example, absolutely. Um, and, you know, Ramin is, is a god among men for how he sings that song. But my word, does he break every rule in the book? Um, there's there's a belt there's there's things in there that should not be in a legit setup but my word they work but that's contemporary legit that's slightly different legit it, it is more about staying in these staying in your lane really however what makes legit boring is when people don't connect the text um, just because you can't twiddle with a melody or you can't into a note or you can't backphrase or Mariah it or whatever doesn't mean you can't connect to the text it doesn't mean that you have to do phrase, 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 breathe, phrase, 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 breathe. It doesn't have to be predictable. You can play with the phrasing, with the breath. You can push and pull. And true legit with with the orchestra shouldn't be metronomic. So if you did, if I loved you time and again, da, 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 you can go through this phrase and you can pull it back a little bit. There's just a way of doing that. And I think that's really where a vocal coach will come in. Um, it's just kind of knowing I'm going to use this food analogy because that's clearly resounded with you um, that, you know, spaghetti bolognese is amazing. You don't want a donut on your spaghetti. I please hope you do not want a donut on your spaghetti bolognese. Um, it doesn't make you don't know where wrong. I come from, <laughs> the people I met, what I've been through. So, yeah, I'm using waiters and I'm using foods. But, yeah, th- there are certain things that you can do in certain styles of music. But it's the same with pop. It's just as wrong for somebody to sing um, Motown or sing Adele in a legit style. That is also as wrong. And I think that is, is kind of left to one side. We see that like legit has all the rules, but actually you can, you can destroy the feel of a pop song by over legitting it you know and there are people who make a fantastic career out of this and make far more money than me you know sunday afternoon on radio two um you know my mum listens to their albums etc etc and this it's it's not that it's not valid at all but just there are more there are more rules than that and and being stylistically aware is is so so important but again that's really where you want a trusted singing teacher or a trusted vocal coach who is going to is, is going to get excited about what happened in the 70s and why music from the 70s sounds like music from the 70s and why it doesn't sound like what Rogers and Hammerstein were writing earlier on. Um, so, yeah, again, I don't want to kind of raise more questions than answers, but every style has its limits. Um, you can, as long as you stay in the lane, you can, you can mess with them, but only within that kind of colour palette. Speaking of having your limits, we're going to take a quick break. Hello, it's Chesney here. Just wanted to take a quick moment of your time to tell you about how you can support the Tight Lads podcast. 
We love what we do and we love creating a space where people can open up and talk about whatever they want, but we can't do it alone. We need your help. Please consider visiting our Ko-Fi page and donating the cost of your daily coffee to us here at the Tight Lads. We've got some major plans in the works and your support would make those plans a reality. To find the page, head on to our Instagram at tightlads underscore podcast and follow the link tree in our bio. Your support is more than appreciated. Now then, back to whatever it was that we were talking about. And we're back. So, Tim, kind of like, um, a, this is quite a loaded question, I suppose, but what is the best advice to help performers stay on top of their skill set and stay motivated during this this time, this lockdown? Um, I think this comes from probably from our last question as well. Um, and that's, you can actually listen to music and you can do it anywhere. You don't need a studio. You don't need to be in person. Um, so if you are self-isolating, if you are under the weather, if you cannot sing, dance, move, act in your space, you can listen. And I think that's what... Um, what a lot of performers lack is the awareness of musical styles. So I think for keeping on top of your game, keep listening, absolutely 100%. And just remember that you did this, this awful industry um, that is so hard and hasn't let you work yet. And if you're working, it's paused you for years. Um, you did this for a reason and that's because you love music and theatre. Um, and I think we do need to remind ourselves that even if we're we're having to make ends meet in other ways. We do actually still have this passion and this love for musical theatre. So just listening to good musical theatre hopefully will, will be good for your soul, be good for your voice. Um, I think sing as much as you can, but don't put undue pressure on yourself. It is hard to sing in your bedroom. The acoustics are not right. It doesn't sound like a teaching room. Um, it's hard to teach from a, a studio through a, a screen. And yes, people are telling us that Zoom has brought these wonderful um, professionals all over the world to us, but we can't reach out and touch them. And we can't, we can't kind of get their energy through anything other than a, a computer screen. So I would say don't feel bad that you haven't been able to do a vocal warm-up every single day, or you've not wanted to. Um, because things are very different and, and putting undue pressure on yourself. I guess it's the same with the, with the fitness industry, as you know well, you know, people haven't been able to go to the gym and you don't want people to beat themselves up because they haven't done the home workouts and just accept that it's been an exceptional year uh, and that we probably haven't done the singing that we normally would have done. Therefore, when we start up, listen to your body and listen to your voice. Um, if you possibly, I mean, I'm not, I'm not qualified to kind of give any sort of medical or clinical advice, but what helps for me is, is eating well and staying hydrated and generally looking after yourself because then that has the effect on your voice. Um, and if we've not used our voices in that, that same way, we may have only had to project to the next room and all of a sudden we're back in a rehearsal room in a studio in a, in a massive church hall. Um, it's going to feel different. And I think just expect that. And also don't beat yourself up. There really is nothing that you could have done to have prepared us for this past year. 
um, and it will take us a little bit of time to to get back on back on the horse as it were um, the worst thing we can do is beat ourselves up and feel bad about it because then we're going to get constriction and then we're going to get anxiety and then the voice is going to suffer um, so of course just try and keep that flame burning and listen and do what you can but outside of that please don't feel bad about what you you've not been able to do um, because hopefully in however many months we will have the opportunity again and it will just be a slow yes the auditions won't be any easier um, but hopefully any self-respecting producer casting director director will appreciate that most people have just been sat in the lounges for the past year so there will be a slight oh this isn't quite as easy as it was a year ago um, and try and breathe and, and relax and know that you won't have lost these skills they're just a little bit dustier probably than they were can I ask, um, have you been a part of, or have you been on the team for any uh, online auditions or Zoom auditions for the last sort of year? I have indeed, yes. Um, how have you um, How have you found that? Has, has it like affected the way you cast or has it affected sort of the connection you can make with, with the um, auditionee? Uh, I think, yeah, it has. Um, it's a very different process and it's a learning curve, but it's a learning curve for everybody. I think it's a learning curve for performers having to do self-tapes. I mean, who knew what a USB microphone was a year ago? And yet all of a sudden we all have them, right? Um, who knew what Zoom was? I wish I'd invested in Zoom a year ago, my word. Um, so yeah, there is definitely a, I think there's people are a lot kinder watching these auditions than you would, you'd be led to believe. Um, and again, uh, for once, I think I'm being really nice and supportive by saying that we understand how difficult it is when you're sharing a three bedroom house with 12 other actors and, you know, it has not been a kind year on anybody and you're trying to do a self tape and next door's dog is barking and the landlord's trying to fit a new boiler. Like there are things that just do go wrong. Um, I think try and stay as connected as you can. Do, do your best with the lighting try and show your face try and show as much as you can possibly do through zoom but again it's not a live audition so there are things you simply can't do so don't get hung up on the things that you can't do um if i may say there's a couple of mistakes that that oh, mistakes a couple of things that i would like to see people do differently um that is making the best of their environment so if it is in a, if you are having to film in your bedroom um it goes a long way if you've made the bed and cleared last night's takeaway off the bedside table. Um, that's, that's without judgment. That's just in the same way that you would hopefully brush your hair before you went into a job audition of any kind. It, it comes with, there's a little bit of a wider thinking that has to go on here. Um, please don't be too far away from the camera. I believe they call it a mid shot, which is kind of what, of course you can't, um, you can't see anything I'm doing. I'm flailing my hands about like an absolute lunatic. Kind of from the sort of the, the, the tummy up to the head is what I believe a mid shot is called. Uh, and we can see your face and we can see your eyes. That's the important thing. Actually, for auditions, for singing, I don't need to see your legs and your feet. Uh, so, yeah, we don't need a full shot. Um, ring lights as well is another thing i mean yes they make you look flawless however i'm not sure how many how many auditions you've seen with with the little circles in the pupils once you notice it you can't unnotice it it's very hard to make a connection with somebody and trying to be getting into their their eyes and you can see these two little devil rings um, so maybe ring lights 
just be wary of them. Um, and very lastly on that, sorry, you've, you've put me on my soapbox. So I didn't mean to. Um, Tim, we're do writing this down. Keep going. <laughs> getting cramped at this rate, no matter words I'm using. Um, last thing I'd say with online auditions is please check them through. Um, it's amazing how many people have started on my own pretending she, she he, uh, uh, goodness sake, uh, walk over to the press play and do the audition again. Obviously, you would edit that out. Uh, some people obviously must literally get to the end and go, oh, thank goodness that's over, send. So just, just watch it through, please. I've seen so many like comedy, you know, like those, those awful YouTube clips that you see, um, Cher Lloyd by Cher Lloyd and all that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> it really does happen. It does make me laugh, to be fair. Um, but just, yeah, it's a learning curve for everyone. And I think we're, everyone's being quite quite forgiving and like I say I would not want to be in your place I would not trade places with you for a million pounds um 100 it's hard enough as an actor and now all of a sudden you're dealing with the technology and ring lights and self-tapes as well um however if you can start your career this year uh it's not going to get any harder than this I think I, I can say that with any certainty and while you've got so much drive and so much energy from your from your training um I actually think you're in a really good position um so yeah i think everyone is 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 on this learning curve together so you can absolutely be excused a few things but just a little pinch of common sense sometimes wouldn't go amiss is there anything left you guys want to add i think that was a lovely note to finish on i think mm. so <laughs> so tim first of all where can we find your social media of course um i'm just on instagram because uh I, yeah, I barely keep up with that. Um, my, my handle, that's the word, right? It's timbo.whiting on Instagram. And uh, I will definitely be checking all my messages and keeping track of them. And in regards to your social media, you are running the London Marathon and you're doing a couple of things. You've been talking about it on your social media um, towards donations for the London Marathon. So do you just want to fill us in on that so people know? Thank you. Yeah, that, that would be amazing. Um, so... Uh, this this has come from unfortunately uh, my my dad was recently diagnosed with with lung cancer and uh, unfortunately there's, there's nothing that, that that can be done uh, and I wanted to do something I think we don't understand when you get that cancer diagnosis how helpless you can feel as a relative um, and I picked up the phone to a charity called Macmillan which I'm sure many people have heard of. Um, I don't I don't actually know why the idea uh, came to me, but I think I saw something on their website that said, why not run the marathon for Macmillan? I've never run. I've maybe run once in 37 years. Um, why I thought it'd be a good idea, I don't know. Um, however, before I know, I, I had applied and uh, yeah, that, that god awful email came through. We've accepted you and uh, you need to do it now. So um, I am, of course, on the scrounge for sponsorship for what is a fantastic uh, what is a really fantastic cause. Um, I don't believe in working for free. And that's actually, this is probably another podcast and I won't get onto that soapbox. Um, but what I can offer people is help, advice and piano playing skills. So I've decided for the next six months uh, until I run the, the marathon, the end of October, October the 3rd, um, that any private one-to-one -one teaching or backing tracks, piano backing tracks, uh, or rep coaching that I do, I'm not going to charge the individual directly, but I'm going to 
give you a card with my just giving link on it and i'd like the money to go into my my marathon fund for macmillan um, so this is kind of an open call that i'm not just saying please sponsor sponsor me because yes it's an amazing cause but we don't all have that cash at the moment of course um, but what i'm saying if there's something that i can offer you in return uh, then i would love to do that so please drop me a message on on instagram or if you know me and you've got my number, I'm notorious in Southeast London, I'm sure you can get your hands on me there. Um, and I will absolutely see what we can do about basically working for, for a donation, because that would mean more to me than having 20 quid in my hands, to be honest. So yeah, thank you so much for letting me um, have the airtime. That was awesome. Of course, and guys, um, the normal, all links and any information you need in regards to that will be on our Instagram. Chesney, where can we find you on socials? You can find me on Instagram at ForksFitness underscore. And if you want to find me on TikTok, I'm still there at Chesney on stage. <laughs> Abby, where can we find you on socials? At Abby O'Neill17 on all social media. And you can find me on Jordan E. E. Donnelly on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also find all updates on the podcast, including any of Tim's links on at tightlads underscore podcast. Ha, huh, Tim, you are doing God's work. Thank you so much for having a chat. Oh, bless you. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute, uh, absolute privilege to talk to you. Uh, I'm a little bit of a fan of the uh, <laughs> podcast already. I've definitely calmed my nerves in talking to you. It's, uh, I'm, it's all about meeting my idols. Uh, and I do wish you all the very best of luck as you, as you find your way uh, in this, uh, this amazing yet slightly tough industry. And Tim, we'll definitely have to have you back on because I really want to get into that don't believe in working for free conversation. So that's a whole other episode. <laughs> that's, a set, that's a whole series of episodes. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I think I need to justify that phrase. So yeah, so you'll be back. Don't worry about that. Um, but would you like to do our outro with us? Yeah, talk me through it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So it's very complex. So, you know, listen up. <laughs> so we go, stay tight. Amazing. Are you going to do, do hand gestures and conduct? Oh, I can do if you want. Uh, perfect. Yeah. Add this to your spotlight. It's a good skill. Oh, well. Do you want to the <laughs> Don't tell me to put it on my spotlight because I will. <laughs> Highly skilled. Ask uh, Highly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Everybody ready? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Stay tight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that'll do. That'll, that'll do. do <laughs> God knows how that sounded over Zoom. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey everyone, Cameron Abadi here, Deputy Editor at Foreign Policy. So when I think about economics podcasts, the words fun or exciting don't really come to mind. Then I started working with Adam Tooze. Readers of FP know Adam as an economic historian and a popular author. But he's more than that. In some ways, he's an encyclopedia about everything. How a big multinational like Ford or GM operates has a huge impact on... By 2018, life expectancy was 78 and a half, where we are. Historically unprecedented increase in poverty. 
On each episode of Ones and Twos, Adam Twos and I will unpack several data points. I'm pretty sure you won't look at the world the same way. A cash recommends.